uh, I had a little trip. Andrew and I and another brother, Don, we went up to uh, Eastern Kentucky today and delivered $10,000 worth of dehumidifiers. So, they were tickled to death. I mean, that's uh, really something they can use. And we gave some of them out, and then we got them uh, in the right hands to get the rest of them where they need to go. It was a lot of dehumidifiers. And um, so we were able to get those for a little over $5,000, which was a blessing. So the Lord's good on that. Uh, a lot of the work's getting done up through there. FEMA's still working, and different people are doing things. Some people are total loss. Some people are trying to salvage things. Uh, so uh, it's, it's just getting better. I mean, it's going to be a long time to fully recover, but it's getting some better. Those Fleming Neon and Heinemann, I believe both of those towns have been totally wiped out. So what a lot of them are going to need is furniture in the next couple of weeks, bedding, those kinds of things. So we're going to start collecting that kind of stuff. There's plenty of resource centers up there for food and water and cleaning supplies. The dehumidifiers, we, we, that was a God thing <clears throat> because they don't have any up in those stores. What few they had are gone, and um, that's really essential for somebody that's trying to keep the mold from growing and, and that's trying to salvage what they got. So we thank God for all y'all's participation in that. Uh, and we're just going to kind of stay with them. We just went up there today. and um, So if you try to reach me when I'm in the mountains, forget it. <laughs> Ain't that right, Dan? <laughs> Unless you're in a city center, uh, you might get a uh, uh, signal. But it's hard to get. I mean, somebody texted me. I was up there Friday in those mountains. Somebody texted me at 9 o'clock and needed to talk to me about something to do with the building project here. You all saw the block, I guess. That's good news, amen. So uh, we're going to pour that floor next week. But he texted me at 9. I got the text at 12. So uh, that's kind of how it rolls up there. So we're thankful for all the opportunities we have. And uh, we're targeting a community. And I'm going to look at another community you can't do everything. You know, you just can't take on. And there are other people working there besides us, a lot of Christian groups and uh, humanitarian places. But what we'd like to do is target those communities and maybe help one of those churches that got wiped out and get back on its feet. So we're going to be looking at that. And also to, uh, after we've gained some trust up in there, maybe take a big tent and have a few services ourselves try to lead some of them to Christ. The one of the guys <clears throat> we talked to today, his name's George Potter. He, he played in It's a Wonderful Life. You remember that? Is anybody old enough to remember that? Uh, actually not. He's an old coal miner. <laughs> but uh, he was telling us how all of it happened. It was pretty wild. Uh, and the reason there was so much devastation and loss of life and loss of automobile, it happened in the middle of the night. So at 1.30, he said he got up, and the rain was so loud it caused him to get up. And he went out, and the, the water was at his porch. And he stood out on the porch, he said, and then the, the water kind of receded. He went back to, in the house. I can't remember if he said 2.30 or 3.30. Um, 
and he heard the rain. They came out again. He said it's the hardest rain he'd ever seen in his life, and started coming over into the houses and all that stuff. So it's three thirty in the morning. It's hard to even know what's going on if you get woke up at three thirty in the morning for a minute. So that's why there was so much. There's going to be a lot of devastation anyway, but. If it happened in the daytime, people could see what's happening and coming. They could have probably got more automobiles and stuff out. But some of those houses are just off their foundation. A lot of stuff you all saw some of that Sunday. But he said he wanted me to go in the backyard and look at something that maybe we're going to try to help with. It's a pretty extensive project. Uh, but um, he took me back there, and he said, I believe God's trying to get our attention. And he said, Amen. <laughs> And he said that, you know, we've walked away from God a lot in this country, including, he said, including our area, you know, we don't honor God the way we should. And he said, I believe God's trying to get our attention. And then we, I saw the project he was having, and then I saw all these grapes hanging on these grapevines. And I said, you mind if I eat a couple of these? And he said, I'm going to go get you a bag. You can have every one of them. I said, we don't even meet them. I said, I have hit the jackpot right here. <laughs> I said, I'll trade your dehumidifier for these grapes. <laughs> he got a dehumidifier before I got the grapes. <laughs> anyway, there's a lot going on up there. A lot of them are getting, you know, more encouraged because they've seen people. They, we, this is the same community we went in the other day. They recognize us. They came out of their houses or porches, so we're getting a little rapport with them. Uh, and they're encouraged that we're uh, coming around and, and bringing them items and we're going to try to bring some teams in. A lot of teams in and out there. The further this goes, the fewer teams will be around. So we're going to try to get our teams in there. And we, we went to another mobile home park. Most of them were wiped out. The ones that weren't wiped out except one of them all got water in there. And so we were able to help some of those. A lot of them are single mothers or grandmothers and stuff, people that, you know, can't. Doing. So if you didn't have flood insurance, your house is, because even your regular insurance won't pay for things that are damaged with the flood. So a lot of trouble like that. So just keep praying for those folks. And um, I think Melanie's been getting better, so that's good news. We were able to go over and pray with her, and she's getting better, I think. So it's a battle, uh, but God's equipped us for the battle. Amen. We have the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God, all the things that are necessary that uh, we need. So we're going to get into Hosea chapter 5 tonight. We're going to run a few places as well. Uh, and we'll probably cross over into chapter 6 and just stop there in a couple of verses because there's a lot to be said there. Uh, we want to welcome all you that are watching us. Uh, appreciate uh, your prayers and all the things, uh, being a part of what we do here and any support, all that. We thank all of you all for being a part of our Wherever you're at in this world or in this country, we thank you for joining us. Father, we thank you for this moment, this very moment. None of us have the promise of tomorrow, so we're here to be with you, to be with one another. We're here to re receive your word and instruction. We're here to hear your voice so that you may speak to us that we, and call us to do whatever you've asked us to do, Lord, that we would be sensitive and hear that. May we be reminded, Lord, that straying away from you is not a good idea. And that's what happened to Israel here in this book and uh, we are doing that here in this country Lord and we want to see what you're saying to us in this nation the things that happened to Israel you said were for our learning that we would learn how to do the right thing and not to do the wrong thing and how you respond and so 
We just want to grow from that. And that we want to transfer this to others. We have family, Lord, and friends and people that are not following you and being faithful. We just pray that you would give us an open door to share your truths with them. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of folks going to hell, right? Many are going to destruction, Jesus said, and few are going to heaven. Let's try to up as many of the few as we can, amen. Uh, let's go to Hosea chapter 5. So we, you know, he's being pretty uh, forthright with them. Uh, uh, in the last couple of chapters, you know, he said they forgot him and all that. Chapter 5 is the, this is the uh, fruit of idolatry. You're going to start seeing Israel, and he's going to bring Judah in that. So the kingdoms are separated. They separated because Rehoboam was a knucklehead, and they, the, the, the guys tried to straighten him out. And then the kingdom split, and the north, most of the tribes went north. And, but he's going to bring Judah in this because Judah is not going to learn from what they see with the northern kingdom, which is uh, referred to as Samaria, Ephraim, Israel, a lot of different names referring to that northern kingdom. Uh, mostly here, they're referring to the whole, it's not just one tribe, he's talking about the whole group with Ephraim. But you're going to see what happens with the fruit of idolatry. And Hosea, even though he's the only northern prophet that wrote something that we have in the Bible, the rest of them were southern prophets. Because the southern prophets were in a better spot. And what I say by that, when I say that, they were down there, they were still promoting God. And so Jerusalem was where they were supposed to worship. When the northern tribes split, when they went north, they, which was not God's will, they made new places of worship. One of them was Bethel. And so instead of going down to Jerusalem and doing the things God had asked them to do, so that started causing idolatry. In fact, they made idols. And some of them still called those idols Jehovah. Well, that was strictly forbidden by God in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. When he brought them out of Egypt, he said, Don't be making any images and calling it me. Or any graven image, you know. Uh, that's not how God works in our lives. It's all about relationship, right? Uh, and and I don't, don't take this offensively, but wearing a cross is no sign of being a Christian. A lot of heathens on, TVs, on the TV wear a cross. And that don't make you closer to God, having a cross around your neck. I'm not opposed to you wearing a cross. I'm just saying that's really not what God's after. He, want, he, he wants us to have a personal relationship with Him. So when they got up in the north, they started having their own centers for worship and all that. And they got their own priests together. And it all got messy. And then they started bringing false gods in and their idolatry. And as I told you last week, idolatry is the last straw before a nation gets plummeted or, or judged. Because that is so offensive to God. When we start looking at another a God that's really not a God, it's really demonic forces behind it, promoting it, and start saying, we thank you for sustaining it. I mean, that's offensive to God. Isaiah spends a lot of time talking about that. Hear this, O priest, take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of king, for yours is the judgment, because you have been a snare to Mizpah and a net spread on Tabor. And Tabor and Mizpah were places where they were watchers. And they used these places to look for the enemy. And God's given them a spiritual application here. First that which is natural, Paul said, then that which is spiritual. And he's bringing these in because they're, they're not watching. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. So this watching and praying is essential. It was essential to them back then. 
And they did it in the physical realm a lot, but it signifies to us certainly the spiritual side of that. And to them, he's saying, the revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. So they, Israel got in a place where they aborted their young as well. Most of the time, these pagan cultures, which actually crept into Israel, they were aborted after they were born, which is what we're trying to promote, promote, propose here in this country. They would take them out if a, if, a, if a child was born with problems or they just unwanted. A lot of times they would take them out into the fields or uh, this was all pagan stuff that actually crept into Israel. A lot of times they would take them and sacrifice them to a false god. And they would uh, lay them on the altar on the arms of a false god that was burning red with fire. And that's how they would sacrifice them and, and abort them. And they would chant and scream so loud so they couldn't hear the screams of the baby. Now that's sickening, but we need to hear it because that same kind of stuff goes on today. When you vacuum a child's brains out of its skull while it's still in the womb, there's just no excuse for that stuff. And so we live in a pagan... A lot of the stuff that we do here is pagan. I read a book about the, the Christians in Germany. And the Christians cowed down to Hitler. They, except I, I've shared that story where one preacher stood up to Hitler. The rest of them pulled him back and basically told him to shut up. And, but the church, one of the accounts of the church is where, one of the, where the trains would go by. And the trains that were taking those Jews to the concentration camps to do things we can't even talk about in mixed company. And the church knew what was happening. And they said when those trains would come by, the people would be screaming because they knew where they were headed. And they said what we did was sing louder so we didn't have to hear their screams. Somebody said all good men have to do to let evil take over is sit by and do nothing. That's not a biblical verse, but somebody said that. On one of the concentration camps... I don't know if it's still there, but I read the account of this. There's a wreath hanging on that concentration camp that says, from the Christians in Germany, please forgive us for doing nothing. Now, the problem with Christianity, and it's not just Christianity, it could be anybody, the, that we all want things to be right, but what do we do when they're not? Are we going to sing louder? If you go home and I go home and the heat and air work and there's food in the refrigerator, sometimes we can get lulled to sleep by that. But there are children, countless children, being molested in this country while we sit in this building tonight. Countless. And I've got just by virtue of being in the ministry, I've got contacts all over this country now and some in other parts of the world. And one of the greatest places to traffic children is Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. What once started out as a family place for vacation has now turned into one of the leading trafficking places for young boys and girls. Sin don't stop. It just keeps coming. And that's what we're going to see here. Israel probably said, man, it's probably a good idea. 
you know, let's don't make that trip down to Jerusalem. We're going to have to see people we don't really like. And God will understand. When you start saying that out of your own mouth, you need to back up for a minute. When you have to say God understands, God understands this. <laughs> and don't be walking away from this with something you're not happy about and say God understands. Because this is what God understands. And that's what happened to these northern tribes. They said, well, it would be okay. Let's just have church up here. And I'm putting this in a little bit of a uh, looser way to say it. But, and look what happened to them. They got obliterated. And notice what God says to them. He says, Israel he said, I know Ephraim. That's, he's talking about the whole tribe. And Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defied. So it sounds like Ephraim took the lead in this. They were one of the larger tribes. And they took the lead in going astray. And it's affecting the whole group. And they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. They know. They should know. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. They stumble in it. And Judah also stumbling with them. So it's going, it's spreading. With their flocks and herds, they go to seek the Lord, but they will not find Him. He, with, he has withdrawn Himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. So what happened? Now, listen. Now, I'm not saying this is your lot. I'm just going to speak as a nation. Since the baby boomers, I want to go back further than that. I think our turn in this country, after being a student of history in school, I think the turn spiritually happened in the 20s. Now, the baby boomers in the 60s gets a lot of bad gets a lot of credit for things, I understand it. But I don't, they didn't just happen overnight. In the 20s was when this country became more materialistic, more entertainment-oriented, uh, all the things, and a bit more indulgent, and all that started coming in the 20s. And so then we had a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not reclaim, a reckoning. We had some reckoning, right? The stock market crashed. People jumped out of windows, committed suicide because they lost everything. Uh, the war came in the 40s. Well, and just a lot of stuff. And then the baby boomers got more caught up in this world, and a lot of them left the training of their children off. And then the 60s hit. And then the 70s hit. And then the eight, you know, it just keeps rolling. It keeps rolling the wrong way. As a nation. And a lot of children, they didn't get brought to church. Right? And let's be honest. Back in the 60s and 70s, a lot of times it was mom going to church by herself. We, that's been changed in this culture of our church. We have a lot of men in our church. But I, there's a lot of men who didn't go. And then the children, instead of being interacted with spiritually, they got raised on media. Because the TV showed up and all the things that really... And, and parents a lot of times got caught up in the next advancement in their career and stuff. And the children got neglected. And they got raised on different things. Now, what can happen? I, I have taught Bible studies 
of people who were in those generations, born in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And I've watched some of them as I teach weep. Part of it was the church's fault, too, because the church really wouldn't feed the sheep the way it should in a lot of circumstances. The church became more of an organizational, and it's worse now than it's ever been, humanitarian place instead of a dispenser of the truth of God and constantly keeping it in front of the sheep and feeding them with it. But I've, I've found, and, and the good news is, you know, we can all feel bad about what we let go behind us that we know looking back now, we thought, man, I should have been more diligent there. I should have been a better, you fill in the blank, right? I should have been a better husband. I should have been a better mother. I should have been a better uh, wife, whatever, right? We could all probably say I should have been a better child. You know? and, and, and a lot of people bash the parents. Well, they, I'm going to bring all this into balance before I quit talking about this. Your parents and my parents are doing the same thing you're doing, buddy. They're trying to figure it out. I mean, they're walking this life, you know, and some of them follow Satan. I understand that. Some of them don't follow the Lord. But the ones that are following the Lord, guess what? They're doing the same thing you and I are doing. They're trying to figure it out. They're trying to walk with God. They're trying to be faithful. They're, and the devil hates all that. He hates a family that's focused on God. So the family that's focused on God is going to be under attack more than the family that lives across the street and don't give a hoot about God. Satan's already got them going the way he wants them to go. So he's, he's after us. So when you see that, here's the good news I've been able to share with people. The Bible tells us that God will restore everything the canker worm has eaten. There's a place, there's an old song we used to sing, I'm going to the enemy's camp and I'm going to take back what he stole from me. And remember the lepers that the sound of God got all the people out of the city and the lepers went in and took the spoil in the Old Testament. So whatever Satan's stolen from you and I, it can be recovered. The Bible says if the thief be caught in Proverbs, let him return sevenfold, I believe it is. That's Satan. He needs to cough it up what he stole from us. Amen? So let's stand our ground. And so then he says... They're, they go their flocks and herds. They're going to seek the Lord and not going to find it because God's going to withdraw himself from them. And there is evidence that God does that. The whole book of Solomon's kind of like that, right? Song of Solomon. You know, she gets complacent, right? She's in the, she loves her husband, you know, and he, he's, they're, they're in love and all that. And she, she goes in the banquet hall and she starts snoozing and she wakes up and her, her husband's gone. She's freaking out, right? Running, where's he at? And where's my beloved and all that and he says I'm out here on the cleft of the rock come up here where I'm at we don't like to come up there we like the banquet hall because the shrimp cocktails are this big and the shrimp in those babies look like bluegills instead of shrimp <laughs> we don't want to leave the banquet hall that's the problem with a lot of Christians they want to stay in the banquet hall but they ain't much to learn in the banquet hall except uh, eat 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 and so he's calling her out, right? And she, you know, that's where the problem's at. Sometimes we get complacent on the Lord. And that complacency, if we don't wake up, will take us under. It, you can see that in history with just natural things with nations. You know, I read something today that no nation, I don't even, I didn't run this out yet because I didn't have time. Uh, but no nation has ever 
tax their citizens to a certain level. I for, and I didn't catch all that. I'm going to have to go back and survived. Because what the governments do over time, and our government's trying to do that too, they try to get the whole group dependent on them. There is a power struggle. And it's set up by Satan. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But Satan wants to dominate the people. Remember what I shared with you? And he likes to do it through governmental things. That's where he's effective in that. When, when Abraham came back after, the slaw, after getting Lot back, the, 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 the king came out and he said, you can keep all the stuff, just give me the nefesh, is how he says it in Hebrew. In other words, give me those people back. I want to own them. And so that's what happened with the king of Sodom. He said, give me those guys back. You can have all the stuff. The devil don't want your stuff. What's he going to do with your swimming pool? He wants you so. He wants your children so. Your grandchildren so. He don't want your stuff. The devil can't ride a motorcycle on the hill. He don't want our stuff. He's after us. So they're not going to find God at this moment. But you know how good God is. He's just trying to teach them a lesson. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord. Remember what David said when he realized how bad his sin was? He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He carried it because there was a relationship there. Right? If there's no relationship there, you don't feel that deep need between you and God. A lot of people just want to say they're sorry, right? A lot of people just want to fix what they see in the natural. But David understood the deep relationship. So he, he said that about the Lord. And God said, you guys have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children, and a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. Blow the ram's horn in Gibeah and the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud in Beth-Avon, look behind you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of a rebuke. So there's God saying, hey, you better pay attention to what's going on with Ephraim. Now, let's go to, uh, hold your spot there. And let's go to Proverbs 24. In Proverbs 24, listen to what the wisdom is given here. One guy said uh, he didn't believe nothing in the scripture. And the guy, they told us it's a true story. The guy who was trying to convince him that God's word is true, he said, I can prove a scripture to you. And so he grabbed his nose and ringed it till it started bleeding. And the guy said, what are you doing? He said, the proverb says the ringing of a nose brings much blood. I don't know if that's true or not, but they told it to be true. Look at chapter 24, verse... Did I say 24 already? Chapter 24, verse 30. He says, I went by the field of the lazy man. Does anybody have a neighbor like that? I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all grown over with thorns. Its surface was covered with needles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. Now this is a guy who looked at something and said, I see, I don't have to experience that to know the problem with it, right? Now our nature is not like that. That's why it's hard sometimes raising children because our nature is, well, let me try it. 
You know, let me try. And that's how the devil reels a lot of folks in, right? You go experience it for yourself. Even though somebody's told you that don't really work out and that's not a good idea and over and over and over. The times we step out of that and try to experience it for ourselves. But that's what God wants us to do right there. That's what he's telling Benjamin. He's saying, hey, you need to look at what's going on with Ephraim. You need to learn from what you see. You need to learn the consequences from what you see. And that's what Solomon's saying here. He said, we, need to, we can see things and learn from them if we'll let them instruct us. Of course, we're all stubborn in some ways. So back to Hosea, he says, uh, Ephraim will be desolate the day of rebuke. After you blow the horn, look behind you, Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke among the tribes of Israel. I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. God's getting ready to drop the bomb on them. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept. Put uh, Acts 5 and 29 on the screen there. Acts 5 and 29 tells us what we're to do. It says, Peter and other apostles said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, let me, let me put this in balance. The Bible teaches us we're to obey the laws of the land until they conflict with God's Word. That's when we draw the line. So, uh, if, you're, if you're in a speed zone that's 60 miles an hour and you're going 80 and you get a ticket, guess what? You should have got a ticket. You deserve it. Uh, you, we obey men's laws until... They come in conflict with God's word. And when you see his law come in conflict, or men's law come in conflict with God's word, then we choose God's word. Now they forbid them, the law, the government, told these guys to stop preaching. They didn't stop preaching. They wound up in prison. That's where we go. I, I really believe we're coming into a time where we're going to have to take some stands. Persecution, we're going to face a lot more persecution. This country is gearing up to persecute Christians. And, and there's the, I listen sometimes to uh, the world. I'd like to hear what they're thinking and what they're saying. And they're saying, they're come to realize how important it is for people to think on good things. I was listening to, they weren't talking about God at all. They're talking about your brain, how your brain's not. And the, the monks have figured this out a long time ago. They said, you know, this one lady was talking about how she, she boasted in the fact that she was able to multitask. She said, but your brain's not doing very well with that. So that's not how you're designed. She said, we all take pride. We become prideful. She was saying all the biblical things, right? But she wouldn't give God credit. That's where they're at. They're coming back around and saying, hey, things like... Uh, Mother's milk is better than, or breast milk's better than maid milk, right? Or, or store milk, all that kind of stuff. They say all that stuff now, but they won't ever give God any credit. They won't say, hey, God had a good idea there, you know. And that, the world's coming, but they don't want to give God any credit for anything. That is part of the end of time, where men get so prideful and so haughty, they don't want to give God credit for anything. I said, how would you like to be God and create everything and get credit for nothing. He must be patient 
and long-suffering. So, so many circles. I've been I listening to the world, how they talk about how the effects of uh, trying to do too much and not letting your brain rest and not thinking on good things. I, I've listened to two people, not Christian. They, as far as I know, they're not Christian. And they don't even come from a biblical slant. But I was just trying to hear what they were saying. And they were saying, you need to think on good things. Every mo- One of them said, every morning you need to get up, throw your curtain aside, and, and look outside and get a bigger picture than just your small little world and think on three things that are really make you, bring you joy. And I thought, that's easy for a Christian to do. We can do that easy. So, started somebody talking in my ear there, I think. And so... We got that. We got that. But they're not coming over to our side. They, they don't want a world with a God. Because a world with a God means you're going to have to answer to somebody someday. That's the whole problem. The whole problem is about accountability. It's about authority. That's what started this whole mess in the garden. When Satan talked Eve into coming out from underneath God's authority. And then Adam went along with it because we know Adam was instructed and Adam must have told his wife about it and he's the one that should have stopped it and he went along with it too. And so when you get out under say all of us, and I said this last week, we have always stressed our children when they were under our roof, you have to answer to God over your mother and father. There's a bigger picture here. And that's what this whole thing is about. We don't want to... uh, be under someone else's authority, and we don't, want any, we don't want a God whom we're going to have to answer to someday. But whether they like it or not, everybody's going to stand before God. Every single one of us are going to stand before God. Christian, sinner, we're all going to stand before God. And then he says, he says, the princes of Judah are like those who remove the landmark. I will pour out my wrath and water on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed, broken in judgment. She willingly walked by human precept. They chose the ways of the world over the ways of God. And that is a major struggle in this country, even with church folk. Because everything is within our grasp. Didn't used to be that way. But everything's within our grasp with just a few seconds or minutes away. From food to a gadget to entertainment, it's all right here within seconds. Minutes. If you live in a certain area, you can get something delivered to you within minutes. Food, whatever. Stuff out of stores. Every, we, we can get so caught up in this life thinking, this is it. Look how far we've advanced. And we're headed like a one-way train where the bridge is out. And nobody knows it. I'm sure that's what they thought in Nineveh. Nineveh was a big-time city. They probably thought, we're good. Look at all we have. But God was watching them. And God said, nah, you're not good. Same thing he told Laodicea. They said, we're rich and full of everything. And God said, no, you're blind, miserable, and wretched. And don't know it. Then he says, therefore I will be to Ephraim like a moth. And to the house of Judah like rottenness. When Ephraim saw his sickness, that's what he did. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jareb, Jareb, yet he cannot cure you. So he turned to man for help instead of God. And you know what what, uh, Assyria did? They wound up destroying him before it was over with. 
The very people he sought help from wound up destroying him. And so Ephraim went over to Assyria to King Jerob. Yet he cannot cure you nor heal you of your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear them and go away. I will take them away and no one will rescue. Now here's the problem. I've told people this for years because I've been an end time preacher. I'm heavily invested in prophecy. And if you've not heard it yet, you're getting ready to this fall. We're going to step into it a little bit tonight. The You... And I, if you think dealing with the devil's tough, get, I'm talking to everybody that's watching and listening around the world. You get left behind when Jesus comes back and you start dealing with God's wrath. The devil can't hold a light to God when it comes to wrath. God starts pouring out the vials. He starts pouring out the pestilence. The Bible says they will run to the mountains and beg the rocks to fall on them so they can die. But they can't die. They have to suffer the torment. Because some people, the Bible says, there are three groups of people. Peter touches on in the New Testament. There's the righteous, the Zadokim, and then there's the sinner, the common sinner, and then there's the Rashim, which is the wicked. And Isaiah talks about them. Peter rebrands. So when Israel, they looked at people from three perspectives. There was somebody who was redeemed. Following the Lord, there was a common man who wasn't, and we got that in America, somebody who don't serve the Lord, but he's not a bad guy or a bad woman. They just live a good life, try to do good, and, and, but they need to make a decision because they're in the balance, right? And then you've got the Rashim. The Rashim is the Hebrew word for the wicked. And the Rashim are the vessels. Now listen, this is what the definition that is. Vessels fit for destruction. So God, those who refuse, what happened? We read Sunday, they refused the love, they, the love of the truth. They didn't embrace it, right? They heard it, but they didn't bring it into their bosom and embrace it and make it a part of their life. And there's a lot of people, most people in the world, I would say. And then he says, um, I will even tear them and go away. I will take away and none, no one shall rescue. No one will rescue. I will return again to my place. This is God talking. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. So does God use affliction? Yes, He does. Yes, He does. God uses affliction in our lives to draw us close to Him or if we're away from Him to draw us back. He does use affliction. The, the difference between God's affliction and Satan's until God winds this thing down is that Satan's way is punitive. God's way is redemptive. Punishment, suffering, affliction, judgment. Satan is punitive. He wants to destroy you and me. God's afflictions or, redemp- or judgments, they are redemptive. He, and we're going to see that just real quickly here. He does it in a way to get our attention, to draw us in. If you go to John 10, where it talks about the good shepherd there, and if you study sheep, and there's, there's a Keller, his book's probably the best one out there on sheep, then the, sheep, the shepherds sometimes, they will, all of their equipment is partially in, in part 
to keep the lambs in a safe place and to keep them settled because they do better. Their wool and everything does better if they are at peace. And if you, you study, it's amazing how much we're like a lamb. Uh, and, and I think Andrew shot that clip. Maybe we'll shoot it up before we're gone. About that lamb. They get it out of this rut that it's in. It can't, and then it runs down a little and jumps right back in the rut. That's us. Get us out of a rut. Next morning we'll be right back in it. If we, right? I mean, but their staff was used. They didn't have a staff so we could have nice Christmas plays. They had a staff to get those sheep out of troubled spots. They had stones to sling like David. To not just to kill an enemy, but also to throw those stones. They got good at them. You talk about good. They could throw a stone and not hit the lamb and startle it because it's straying to get its attention. See, that's how God works. He, he's redemptive and he keeps working. Then if that lamb keeps straying, guess what the sheep shepherd will do? He'll break its leg. Because he knows if he breaks its leg, he'll be, he carries it too. He'll carry it from place to place after he breaks its leg. Because he's protecting it. But that lamb will remember that and it'll keep it from being destroyed by the enemy. So many parallels. So many. He plays his flute so they can be at peace. So many want. Uses ISAB. Some of you probably stuff. So God is redemptive in his work in our lives. Even when there's pain or affliction, he is redemptive. That's how God works in our lives. He's not punitive. Now there's a day coming when God's going to be punitive. When this thing's over, if you didn't follow Christ, you're going to wind up in the lake of fire. But right now, God's being redemptive. He wants you to follow. He wants you and I to make Him the center of our lives. That's how God designed it. God didn't design no separation of church and state. That was man's idea. God set up Israel in a way so that they could prosper. He said, if you do what I say and keep me in the middle of everything, your, your livestock will be fine, your crops will be fine, your children will be blessed, everything will go good. So what, what God said, He said, you put me here in the center, and you, me, and you, He said, you revolve around me. That's how your life should be. It's the same way it should be today. But what we've done is we put me in the center, and we want God to revolve around us. That's how too many people live their lives, even in the church sometimes. But that's not the way it works the best. You make God the center of everything. You'll get better sleep. You'll get better deals at the grocery store. Am I telling you the truth? Listen, there's a couple of people. One lady, a pastor friend of mine in New York, said this lady come to his house and said, said uh, my, my husband is not a believer and he don't want to tithe. And he said, well, he said, he's, I understand that. said, you don't want to make him mad and get an argument. said, he said, here's an idea. He said, why don't you take, she said, he gives me, he asked her how much money. She said, well, he gives me grocery money every week. And she, he said, well, if you feel convicted, why don't you bring 10% of your grocery money in? And she said, that's what I'll do. A week or two into that, he, he sat down at the dinner table one night, and he said, how come we're eating better? He said, I, we don't have, never had this kind of meal. I said, I said, are you getting money out of my wallet? I mean, he was that insistent on it. So you're getting more money somewhere? I said, because I'm giving you the same amount of grocery money. How? She said, well, and she told him. She said, I started tithing on our grocery money. And said, every time I go to the grocery store, there's a deal here and a deal here and a deal here and a deal here. And she said, God's just blessing. That led to that man's salvation. Led to his salvation because he saw the things of God work. 
And so here's what, we, here's what we do. We need to keep God in the center. When you're dealing with your children, let me tell you something. We're all, we all live in the flesh. There have been times when I've been raising my children that I had to go and apologize to them. I crossed the line. Hey, don't be afraid to apologize. Some of the best moments I've had have been after conflict. Right? Because they know, the Bible says if we don't discipline our children, they, we don't love them. That is strong language. And that is totally opposite of what the church, or the world teaches. Now, we've come to that. The Bible says if we don't discipline, we don't love them. But there's been so much fellowship in those moments because they read that as love. First moment I had to tap my little granddaughter last week. Tap, tap. Broke her heart. Mine too. I about had to walk out of the room. She was being ornery. She, oh, what a pretty little sinner she is. <laughs> and she was being ornery. And so I got her on the hand, I, you know, a couple of times. Man, it broke her heart, broke mine. She didn't want nothing to do with me for about <clears throat> two or three minutes. And then she came and found me. First time she'd ever done this. Came and found me, wanted it in my arms, hugged me around my neck. She'd never done that on her own unless I forced her into it, you know. Kissed me. She'd never kissed me unless they told her to kiss me before they left or something. Beautiful. Beautiful. See, now there's a difference between discipline and abuse. You want that child, and this is the way we all need to be, you want that child right under the bridle, but you don't want it to leave, lose its spunk. That's how we train horses, right? Get them under the bridle where they can be turned, but you don't want them to lose their spunk. You want them to be bold and, uh, and full of strength, but they, they need to be able to be led, right? All of us do. All of us need to be able to be led. Now, he says, then they will seek my face, their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. And you know how God is. He keeps, when they seek his face, he turns and all these prophets are trying to get them to do that. Now, verse 1 and 2, and then we'll quit in the next chapter. Come and let us return to the Lord. Now, look what it says about his discipline. He has torn, but He will heal us. Whew! That's good stuff. He has stricken, but He will bind us up. So God's getting credit for the discipline, but He's also getting credit for the healing. They went to the world for healing and couldn't get it. See that? But when they came to God, He said, When you start seeking me and confess and come back to me, I'm going to heal you, right? He says, Come and let us return to the Lord. That was the cry. For He has torn, but He will heal us. He has stricken, but He will bind us up. And after two days, He will revive us. And on the third day, He will raise us up that we may live in His sight. Now, these are good instructions about how God deals with us, right? He does afflict us, but all of his, I took that off board, but all of his affliction is redemptive, not punitive. Now, till this thing's over, then God will be punitive. But right now, everything he's doing, I don't care how bad it gets in the world, God's purpose is to draw men and women to him. Just like the guy told me up there in that flood district, he said, I believe God's trying to get our attention. And he, and he said, everything God allows or does is... Tr because here's what he said in Peter. It's not his will that any would perish. And if you've raised more than one child, you know some of them are more stubborn than the others. And some of them have to have a little more pressure than the others. And some of them are more compliant than the others, right? 
Some of them are more spunky, like a horse, and some of them are more laid back, like a mare. You know, just different things that go on, and you watch all this unfold. But God's doing the same thing, because what is it you want for your children? You want them to live. You want them to experience. You want them to be blessed. And that's why you're trying to get that spiritual bridle on them and help them to understand that they're going to have to be under God's authority and follow His path. Now, the problem with some parenting, though, they try to force a child down a path. You need to get with God, and you ought to fast and pray over every child you have and find out what God's will is in their life. If you're a whatever, if you're a lawyer and he wants him to be the janitor in the school, then so be it. God has prayer. There's a bigger plan in this life than making money. What if a man gains the whole world and loses? So what if God sends one of your children into some situation in the military or whatever, and he's just winning souls left and right? Bam, bam, bam. That's beautiful. That's far greater value than money. So get along with God and say, God, what are you speaking over this child? And if you miss that with your child, I tell you, hey, can reverse that thing? Get your grandchildren and start speaking the will of God over them. And then how many grandchildren have we seen win their moms and dads to Christ over the years? They say, one of my uncles got in church because his daughter said, the little bitty thing who was getting taught and trained in Sunday school, went to him and said, hey, why don't you go to church, Daddy? Don't you have a nice dress to wear? That was as simple as it took. And he realized he was absent from their spiritual life. To her, it was simple, right? My dad, I know my dad would go to church because he's a good man, right? I mean, you realize she was saying a mouthful. She had a lot of confidence in her dad. That struck him. She said, the only reason my dad's not going to church can't be because he don't love God. It's got to be because he don't have a good dress to wear. That's so simple and elementary. And bam, the Holy Spirit hit him right between the eyes and said, time for you to start leading your family buddy i mean that's beautiful and so if you if you think man i wish i'd have done more of that my child they're grown get that grandchild and pour the holy spirit all over them and when they go home sit down one day and say why don't we pray over our food like grandma and grandpa do hey a little bit of conviction and they take it a lot better from children sometimes than they do us why don't we do that why don't we go to church so Whatever, let's start letting God recover all that. So there's a prophetic sense to this, and I'm going to close with that. God's talking to Israel. Now, Israel's going to be restored, and that beginning of that started in 1948, and that's been furthered ever since then. 67 is the biggest date as far as the end of time goes. I believe we are the terminal generation. We don't know the day nor the hour, but we certainly know the season, according to what Jesus taught. But these verses speak about Israel as a nation. And he uses a phrase in here, two days. And then the third day. And then he says they will live not in his presence, but in his sight. So these two days, a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years. That's not said so we, we know that God time don't mean anything to God. That's not why God don't do anything just for doing it. When you read that, you take that... Peter takes that very passage out of the book of Psalms and uses it in his chapter where he's talking about the end of time. God has a plan, and it's based on sevens. And man's num- the number that equals man is six. In other words, when our time's up, God's taken back over, right? He's in control now, but he's really going to assert him. So the Israelites were scattered for almost 2,000 years or two days. 
when they ransacked Jerusalem in A.D. 70 by the Jews. Now, also you got to remember, don't start counting the calendar and get all Gentile-ish on me. The, uh, the, ca- the, the Jews use a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. The prophets use, so a lot, they have less days and all that kind of stuff. So this, this is how long Israel has been scattered for two days or 2,000 years. They're going to be raised up for the third day, which is the, the last thousand years or the millennial. And they're going to live in His sight because Jesus is going to bring the new Jerusalem down and be here on earth. He didn't say they'd live in His presence. It's very important that you understand what He's saying here. He said they're going to live in His sight. So what happens is, when if I... I don't really want to take time to race, but I need to. Uh, so here, if you got the seven years of tribulation, all right, and you got uh, the hapogesometha, or the rapture, takes place right here before the seven years. The world, the true believer is gone and the world gets plunged into this seven years of tribulation, great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, like the world's never seen. Its focus, the focus has been on the Gentiles for these last two days or 2,000 years. The focus shifts back to Israel. Now, John said in, in Revelation that there's a number no man can number coming out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. So there's a lot of people going to get saved in here, but most of them it's going to cost them their life. When they get saved, it's good. you need to get saved now if you're listening to me out there in this country or anywhere else. The day's the day of salvation. Like I said, you don't be left around and start dealing with God's wrath in, in that tribulation. Because when He starts pouring out His wrath, ain't nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And so when this happens, uh, the, uh, the Jews get plunged. Primarily, most Jews have, are blind. And there's some that's been born again. That's what we call Messianic. But they're going to be plunged into this. So as they make it through out here, these Jews... And, and Gentiles, the ones that made it through, which if you add up all the people, that population that dies during, in the book of Revelation, by the time we go from here to here, half the world's population will be gone. Uh, let me just show you how that, and, and I think this is probably not, uh, but just for sake of understanding. If there are 7 billion people in the world, and let's say a billion of them go into rapture, which I highly doubt, but let's say a billion of them go into rapture. That would leave six billion here on earth to go into this. All right? That means that by the time we go seven years to here, three billion of them will be dead. That's astronomical. Because the devil's going to be, what's he saying in the book of Revelation? Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. The devil has come down among you and he knows he has a short time. So the devil's going to be down here wreaking havoc and then God's going to start pouring out his wrath in the second half of the tribulation. Wham, wham. And it's going to be chaos. It's going to be horrible. And God's going to bring the Jews over here and the Gentiles that may, that, and then there'll be some that die and go on to heaven, be coming in. But this, this is where the Jews are going to be restored and they're going to live in His sight. So that's a prophetic utterance there about the end of time, not just a beautiful thing for us to say, hey, God does afflict us, but He also heals us. Let me tell you what the devil does. He'll only afflict you. He don't have any desire to heal you. Father, we thank you that you are with us. And we thank you for your word. It is, your word is above everything. In Psalm 138, you said you magnified your word above your name. Woo! That is powerful, God. And so we just thank you that we see the beauty of, of your redemptive love. Even if we go through times of affliction, Lord, we see the beauty of that redemptive love. And we just thank you, Lord, that you've never left us nor forsake us. It's Israel that walked out on you, Lord. And you said all they had to do was confess and turn, return to you. 
Lord, we just pray that for people that we know that's not serving you, Lord, that they would come to you, that they would get the power of the Holy Spirit that would convict their lives, that they would realize what day we're living in, and that they, Lord, would return to you. We give you all the praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.